Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening to the Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canan. My guest this hour is from the group Save USF Forest Preserve. We're going to talk about the latest news from the group and that group tries to stop development of a natural area near the USF campus. We're also going to discuss other concerns among Florida academics like allegations at the University of Florida about pressure to destroy COVID-19 data. And we'll talk about bills in the upcoming Florida legislative session that might hinder academic freedom. If there's time, we're going to also take your calls at 813-239-9663. You can also email dj at wmnf.org or you can text 813-433-0885. Joining me by Zoom today is Dr. Jeannie Munger from the group Save USF Forest Preserve. Until just a few days ago, she was a doctoral student in the Department of Integrative Biology at the University of South Florida, but she just earned her PhD in Ecology and Evolution. Welcome back to WMNF, Jeannie, and congratulations. Thank you for having me once again. And Thank you for the congratulations. Well, welcome back. Um, in the spring, the University of South Florida asked for and received proposals to develop land in the USF Forest Preserve, which is north of the USF Tampa campus. So remind people what the preserve is, where it's situated, and why you think it's important enough to keep safe from development. Sure. Uh, the USF Forest Preserve is a natural area that lies just to the north of USF's Tampa campus. It is an area that has been used as a natural classroom and uh, research facility for several decades, at least 50 years, by um, the department that I just graduated from, but also several other departments, such as anthropology and geosciences. And uh, it also is uh, part of a wildlife corridor that stretches from the Cypress Creek floodplain up to the Green Swamp, which connects to a much greater Florida Wildlife Corridor in the heart of the state. Um, in addition to this, it is uh, along the uh, Cypress Creek Tributary, which flows into the Hillsborough River, um, which is a significant source for drinking water for the Tampa Bay area. Uh, and this water source is also very important for estuary health in Tampa Bay because the fresh water from this area flows down into Tampa Bay, which um, for people who aren't that familiar with estuaries, um, how does an estuary work and why is fresh water important? Well, uh, so we live on what is essentially a large estuary. Uh, Tampa Bay is considered an estuarine environment. And um, what is unique about estuaries is that they rely on um, a very delicate flux of both fresh and salt water in those ecosystems. So um, fresh water that flows from rivers and streams is what keeps those uh, estuaries healthy. Um, that fresh water supports uh, shellfish, which can in turn um, improve water quality. Uh, it also helps keep um, the, you know, the concentration of nutrients, typically in a good system, the concentration of nutrients low um, by having nice flushes of fresh water. Um, when you lose those kinds of fluxes of fresh water or they're polluted, you start to have um, you know, some issues like what we've seen with the Indian River Lagoon um, and the Caloosahatchee um, estuary. So they're critically important to the health of those ecosystems. And the issues you're talking about are algae blooms. Correct, yes. Um, so cyanobacterial blooms, but also uh, red tide blooms. 
Our guest is Dr. Jeannie Munger from the group Save USF Forest Preserve. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canaan on WMNF Tampa. And this nonprofit that you've formed, what is it and what's what's the goal of it? Sure. So we, uh, you know, on the heels of this um, this issue that uh, we kind of championed as a group of predominantly graduate students at USF, uh, we got in touch or, you know, other groups got in touch with us, um, people from the University of Florida, as well as um, academics at uh, University of Central Florida, and discussed with us very similar issues that um, have happened on those campuses, uh, in that the universities were eyeing um, either conservation land, restoration land, or uh, natural areas for development. Um, and so earlier this year, for instance, at the University of Florida, there was an effort to save McCarty Woods, which was a two-acre area um, adjacent to Lake Alice, so right on the University of Florida campus. And that group was successful in preventing development of those woods Um, But what we ultimately realized is that this is an issue that isn't unique to USF, and it's not an issue either that's unique to the state of Florida, that a lot of universities that have these conservation lands in their property holdings are looking to develop them. Um, We saw this with uh, a colleague of ours, Olivia Blondheim, who did her undergraduate degree in New Jersey at Drew University, they're also looking at um, carving up part of their uh, teaching and research forest for development. So ultimately, this nonprofit that we formed, which is called Friends of University Natural Areas, is uh, a part part advocacy group. Um, We hope to partner with other uh, student activist groups that are trying to prevent these important conservation lands from being developed. Um, But we are also looking to um, provide financial support uh, to the USF Forest Preserve through um, donations that will help, uh, you know, fund land management, like uh, prescribed burns that are very important um, in the upland area, as well as uh, invasive species removal and and general upkeep of the property. Um, And so then another goal of ours, too, is to increase educational opportunities. Um, And to that end, we actually have our first um, USF intern who will be looking at um, some of the policy side of this issue with the USF Forest Preserve, um, but also helping us with our organizing. So, um, you know, those are our broad goals, advocacy, environmental stewardship, and education. And you've been calling on USF to put a conservation easement on this property that's north of campus. How is that effort going? That's correct. Uh, So I think we have made some really fantastic strides, uh, particularly in the last few months. Uh, So we at USF now have um, an interim president, Rhea Law, and uh, she stepped in and I I really have to commend her for um, the way she has spearheaded this matter in particular. Uh, She hired an independent environmental consultant to review the ecological value of the site. And on the heels of that assessment, she formed a presidential committee called the North Fletcher Property Committee, um, advisory committee rather, 
that has been tasked with um, both reviewing that environmental assessment, but also providing additional assessments, um, which have been conducted over the last several decades, uh, ultimately providing a recommendation for um, what should happen to the forest preserve. And I'm greatly encouraged uh, both by who is serving on that uh, advisory committee with me. It's an assortment of excellent faculty and deans, as well as student government um, uh, officials, elected officials. Uh, and I think the discussions that we've had so far have been um, fantastic, really, uh, insofar as we've discussed protecting the preserve. I think that this immediate threat um, that was brought forth by the RFI has, um, you know, in, I don't want to say the word that's coming to mind is neutralized, but I'm not sure that I necessarily want to say that. But I think that that particular um, development concern is no longer on the table. Uh, and I'm hopeful that the recommendation that we provide will involve maybe something like an annual budget or, um, you know, other interesting possibilities for leveraging the educational and um, research opportunities that are available out there. And I would want to back up a second. You used an acronym that not everyone might know. You said RFI, which is Request for Information. That's how the university, that's how we found out that the university was even considering developing here because they put out this request for information. And uh, it's kind of like a request for proposal, if you're familiar with that. And then they got back some, um, some actual proposals. What were those like? Yes, that's correct. So I believe if memory serves me, there were, I think, eight proposals in total. However, one was actually submitted by um, Hillsborough County Board of County Commissioners, which was their um, ruling on, on the issue triggering um, ELAP, which is the Environmental Lands Acquisition and Protection Program, to also review the ecological value of the site. Um, so those other proposals that you're talking about they included uh, things like, um, well, uh, subdivisions, and uh, some did in, some did include research facilities, um, but also uh, a stadium. Uh, although the university has been very explicit that they were never intending to put a stadium on that property, however, um, I think they were potentially interested in, you know. Other, other means of, of leveraging that property, um, you know, to financially benefit the university. Uh, and I don't, I don't personally think that the previous administration was necessarily fully aware of the ecological and cultural value of the forest preserve when they, you know, solicited this property for development. Um, I, I did want to say that I had forgot to answer your question about a conservation easement specifically. And um, I think this is important because what we understand now about the property is that it is technically owned by the state of Florida and it has been leased to USF on a 99 year lease, which began in 1974. Uh, so as far as uh, actually succeeding in putting a conservation easement on the property, that would require us to go to the state and, um, you know, legislatively petition that they put an easement on the property. 
I want to remind people that you're listening to Dr. Jeannie Munger from this group Save USF Forest Preserve, and we're on Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and this is WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. We're talking about the USF Forest Preserve efforts in the past to potentially develop there, and we're finding about... We're learning more about the efforts here by these students and others who are trying to stop development from happening there now and in the in and in the future. I'm going to ask a question that I'm not sure uh, you'll have an answer for, but you you had mentioned you called it the previous administration. So USF's former president Stephen Corral was in charge when this RFP this this RFI went out, this request for for proposals essentially, right. um, and. It's, to some of us, um, it seemed a little bit like it was a tone deaf you know, request, um, and it's uh, maybe a really mis- a bad mistake, and, and the community seemed to have reacted that way. And then in July, we found out that Stephen Corral was uh, was going to retire. Do you think that there might be any connection between him leaving the school and this decision to ask people what to do with the USF Forest Preserve, including possible development? I don't think that we were the only reason why um, he stepped down, but I think that there were uh, several sort of hot button issues that were happening at the university. Uh, Certainly the attempt at closing the College of Education, uh, which resulted in a very similar uh, public pushback, um, which saved the College of Education. Uh, that that was certainly something I think that that contributed to the administrative turnover. I think also there were some budgetary concerns that were never really uh, clarified by that administration. And I think uh, you know this. Of course, I'm essentially parroting what um, faculty Senate President Tim Boaz has been quoted as saying, that all of these things together um, probably played a role in um, in that administrative turnover. But I don't think we were exclusively the reason why. Shortly after your group started organizing, a documentary was filmed at the preserve. It was um, about your student-led effort to save the USF Forest Preserve. It's called Choke Point. How has that documentary raised awareness about your concerns there? Uh, Well, it has been a fabulous contribution to our ability to raise awareness. Uh, Luke Myers, who um, graduated in the spring from USF with uh, his MFA, uh, sort of joined forces with with us, and he now also sits on our nonprofit board. Um, he put together this this fabulous documentary, uh, kind of you know fly fly by the seat of our pants. We didn't necessarily intend to set out to to do this. Um, even when we started joining forces, I think that was not the the goal. But uh, it came together really beautifully, and it turned into such a, a vehicle for delivering our message. I think that extended well beyond any of our other efforts. And um, Luke actually was recently invited to the uh, Tampa Bay Underground Film Festival and won um, Best Short Documentary for his efforts um, and for his for his documentary. So um, we're we're obviously really pleased by that. We've we've loved working with him. Um, and yes, I think it has been uh, one of the most important aspects of our, our mission. Our group, our, we're talking with Jeannie Munger from the group Save USF Forest Preserve. And you've, you've, 
You've mentioned these in passing, but I want to dwell down a little bit on on the importance of the USF Forest Preserve to education. You've talked about that a little bit, but let's talk more. And also uh, about the history and anthropology there at the preserve. Sure. So um, for at least the last 50 years, the Forest Preserve has been used by several departments for um, all kinds of research, but really specifically for uh, biological research and geosciences research and anthropological research. Um, So within our Department of Integrative Biology, I think the quote that um, is on their website is that uh, over 70 um, uh, peer-reviewed papers have been published on uh, research that's been conducted within the preserve, and then something like 20 uh, dissertations and master's theses have also been published on research conducted in that preserve. Uh, So there's been a tremendous amount. Um, I think a lot of this work has been concluded now, but um, in the last few decades, excellent work on gopher tortoise ecology. Uh, there were a lot of early, I think, landmark papers about urban fire ecology that were published on um, you know, data that was collected within the forest preserve. And then in addition to this, many classes, I mean, numerous classes are taught Uh, each semester out in the forest preserve. Um, So within integrative biology alone, uh, field field botany and general botany, uh, ecology lab courses, comparative vertebrate anatomy, herpetology, just to name a few. Uh, And then Mark Raines has run a a wetland geosciences course out there for for decades also. Uh, So students are really getting a tremendous hands-on experience out there. Um, you know, I can give you one, one kind of recent example. In the spring, we had a cross-listed field botany course, and cross-listed means that it's available for graduate and undergraduate students. And a graduate student from the geosciences department uh, put together coursework for the undergrads to complete a wetland delineation. And so this is a very common, uh, you know, component to any sort of environmental engineering or, you know, environmental assessment that's conducted um, typically for development uh, to ascertain, you know, where a wetland is and, uh, you know, how close to that you can develop according to state and federal regulations. Uh, But this is a real world skill that these students were able to learn in the classroom out at the forest preserve. This is something they can put on their resumes. And we've had several students that have gone on to get hired by environmental consulting firms, or they've been hired by uh, wildlife conservancies like Wildlands or the Tampa Bay Conservancy or others. Uh, either as an intern or as a as a scientist, uh, and so that kind of research that we do out there, or educational research, I guess I can say, is uh, it's incredibly valuable. It's incredibly valuable. And the anthropology. Yes, and so anthropology as well. I don't know that they're currently conducting any coursework out there, but they have done extensive research on the anthropological sites of which there are several uh, in the forest preserve alone, but also on the golf course. That whole area really is um, made up of several important archaeological sites. Uh, I know that um, Tom Pluckon, who's also sitting on the North Fletcher Property Advisory Board, 
has worked with the uh, Seminole and Miccosukee nations on uh, repatriating some of the uh, remains and um, cultural objects that have been, um, you know, uncovered and excavated at the preserve. And so now there is, um, uh, thankfully, uh, a tide has turned and there have been some efforts um, in anthropological departments across the country to repatriate uh, some of these things, typically human remains, um, back to the um, indigenous nations um, that they came from. Our guest is Jeannie Munger with the Save USF Forest Preserve. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. I'm Sean Canan, and this is the Tuesday Cafe. I'm going to, um, in addition to the USF Forest Preserve, I'd also like to talk to you about issues that impact colleges and universities across the state. Um, so if now it would be a, a good time to do that, I'm going to talk about an anti-racism racism and equity committee that you're on in your department there at USF in the Integrative Biology Department. And in a little bit, we'll talk about an investigation at the University of Florida into political interference on faculty. But let's turn now to bills passed or being considered by the Florida legislature. And I want to remind people that if you have a question, email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text 813-433-0885. So first, let's talk about a, a, a part of Florida statute that already passed. I believe it was last year. Uh, there's a statute on teaching history, and it was changed by the legislature recently. My understanding is that it started out as a prohibition against distorting facts like the Holocaust, but then they modified it to add other forbidden topics, including that, and this is a quote here, racism is embedded in American society and its legal systems in order to uphold the supremacy of white persons. And the new bill also, uh, the new text also prohibits the use of material from the New York Times 1619 project. So am I reading that correctly? Does that essentially say we used to, we used to frown upon um, distorting facts like the Holocaust, but now we f equally, I guess, frown on the teaching of the New York Times 1619 project? Uh, that is certainly my interpretation of that statute. And uh, as I understand it, this particular statute uh, applies to K through 12 public school education. So it doesn't um, distinctly apply to, uh, you know, secondary or, you know, university level education, but it's of course deeply concerning uh, on the heels of the George Floyd protests last year uh, and the sort of reckoning, I think, societally that we're going through about uh, the fact that, in fact, you know, racism is embedded in American society and its legal systems. <laughs> and uh, it's important to to teach and confront that reality uh, so that we can, you know, come together, I think, as a society and um, and reconcile some of those uh, really disturbing realities of our of our past. You're also watching a few bills that are going to be uh, heard, I guess, in the upcoming legislative session next month. There, the, uh, about what the legislature is calling intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity. At, excuse me, at viewpoint diversity at universities. Why does that concern you? That they're paying that much attention to that? Well. Uh, Certainly, we're seeing a very, I think, I have several thoughts about this. I think we're seeing, um, and this is certainly the case with the University of Florida and the situation brewing there, uh, we're seeing several sort of um, 
methods of political interference in academic freedom. And I think um, with that statute or with that bill in particular, this also references um, recording in the classroom. If, I, if I'm correct about that, there are several of these now that are that are pretty concerning. Uh, I think the main concern really is that these bills will have a chilling effect on open discourse in the classroom. That's that is my primary concern, uh, and I think when we look at the situation happening at the University of Florida, that we're actually seeing that play out in lifetime. Um, and I think that there can be really far reaching consequences for those chilling effects on academic freedom um, and you know, freedom of speech in the classroom uh, that you, know, you find academics are uh, concerned about what they can or can't say. Um, there's now this one of these bills stipulates that, um, you know, professors can be recorded at any time, um, which on its face doesn't seem like a, a terrible concern. But, um, you know, we've seen uh, some of that, you know, video footage being used and manipulated um, for disinformation campaigns. And um, I think the the tone of the politicians that are, are writing these statutes and these bills and the rhetoric that they've used in the media um, has certainly an impact on um, a lot of academics' willingness to, you know, continue to teach on these topics. And so we're, we're talking about these legalese terms, intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity. Let's cut to the chase. We're essentially talking about the Republican legislature in Florida is worried that um, you can't have a conservative view at, at, a, at a college or university. That's essentially what these are about, that, that, that they, they need to intervene in order to make uh, universities and colleges um, more friendly to conservative viewpoints. Yes, that's correct. And that, that certainly has been, as I said, the rhetoric that has surrounded a lot of these bills that are coming down the pike. Um, and, you know, the reality is that uh, free speech on college campuses is, is much more threatened by this kind of political interference than it is by, um, you know, professors or students and their you know, potentially political or religious viewpoints. Our guest is Jeannie Munger with the Save USF Forest Preserve. We've been talking about the USF Forest Preserve, but also right now we're talking about just general, uh, the general atmosphere in academics. She's brought up the University of Florida case a lot. We're going to talk about that in just a bit, a little bit more. Um, I want to, so Robin Thanota Sasa has written in, I was, I just breezed by this and I didn't really give an explanation because Rob asks, what is the 1619 project? And so just to let you know, Rob, so it's in our Florida, um, legal code right now in, in our statutes that schools can't teach to the 1619 project. So what is it? It was a New York times magazine in a huge piece about the, essentially the history of slavery in the United States. 1619 was the year that slaves were first brought to, I believe it was Jamestown in, in, in the in Virginia colony. And uh, so it's been 500 years since 
since slaves were in, in, uh, brought to the United States. And so, Rob, that's what the 1619 Project was. It was essentially a, a retelling of history um, with, the, with the knowledge that slavery was, um, you know, something that uh, was very influential. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that very well, Jeannie. It wasn't something I was expecting to talk much about today. But um, so, yeah, so, uh, so it, it, academics sometimes use the 1619 project after it was published as a way to teach an aspect of American history. And that surely um, upset people in Tallahassee so much that they actually added a a prohibition against it in Florida law. Anything to add? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Well, I think you, you encapsulated it pretty well. Um, It's, there's a fabulous podcast that goes along with the 1619 project that, um, you know, I think peels back a lot of the uh, revisionism of the of you know slavery in America that we have uh, actually been taught for for decades in in public schools, um, a a very sanitized version of what transpired over the last 500 years of um, what ultimately became U.S. history. And I think that um, this 1619 Project very beautifully, uh, you know, peeled peeled back uh, some of um, the realities of of what people, um, Black Americans have endured in this country. Yeah. Our guest is Jeannie Munger with the Save USF Forest Preserve. We're talking about issues in education right now in Florida and in addition to the USF Forest Preserve. And if you'd like to weigh in, give us a shout at dj at wmnf.org. You can also text 813-433-0885. I have a caller on the line. I'm going to hold off on calls for just a bit. So stay patient out there, Clay. Um, We'll get to you in just a bit. But um, let me ask Jeannie, uh, regarding the bills that are coming up in Tallahassee next month, there's one that says, or there are actually two bills that say there should be no mandatory diversity diversity and inclusion training at universities. What is mandatory diversity and inclusion training and why does the, why would, might the Florida legislature give a darn about all that? Well, um, diversity and inclusion training is uh, a type of training that helps um, not, not just people in academia, but I, I think that this bill actually covers anyone in government service or contracted with the government. So, um, Certainly that extends to educators, Uh, but diversity and inclusion training is essentially a a means of, um, you know, teaching people about implicit and explicit bias. So implicit bias, meaning that um, we often carry around stereotypes uh, and act upon them, whether or not we are, um, you know, actualizing or aware that we are doing so. And it is important, I think, for uh, people to be aware that they they do move through the world um, encoded with certain biases and to be aware of what is a bias, what kind of thought or act is actually discriminatory against other people so that we can you know, function in a, you know, either that an academic setting or a work setting where we aren't uh, intentionally or unintentionally harming our coworkers um, through, you know, 
racist jokes or sexist jokes or the like. Um, so it's essentially teaching people, um, you know, what sorts of things are culturally um, or societally not appropriate to, um, you know, say in the workplace. And just a reminder about why we're talking about that right now is because there are bills in the Florida legislature that say that there can't, you know, if they're passed, there would not be mandatory diversity and inclusion training. Uh, so now might be a good time to turn to the University of Florida case. Last week, the Tampa Bay Times reported on new concerns at the University of Florida. And I want to see if you have anything more to add. And here's a quote from the Times. Fear of upsetting state officials is pervasive among faculty at the University of Florida to the point that race-related references have been edited out, edited out of course materials. And researchers felt pressure to destroy COVID-19 data, according to a report released last week by a faculty Senate committee. And the report goes on to say that there were several challenges faced by USF researchers who were working on COVID-19 with an unidentified state entity. It describes external pressure to destroy data, as well as barriers to assessing, analyzing, and publishing the numbers. And on Friday, the University of Florida launched an investigation into these allegations that some of its researchers faced pressure from outside the school to destroy COVID-19 data. So I'm asking you, Jeannie Munger, as an academic, as someone who is um, you know, tuned into the university setting, how does, what do you think when you hear things that the University of Florida might have been telling its researchers to destroy COVID-19 data and, and uh, not talk about race? It's deeply concerning uh, that, <laughs> yes, it's it's incredibly concerning. And I think uh, the University of Florida in particular being the flagship university for the state, uh, that they lead the way in, um, you know, education freedom, in the, you know, level of research that's conducted at their university. And for this university in particular to, and, and, and faculty there, researchers there, to be, uh, you know, concerned with uh, censoring themselves, uh, both in their research and in their classrooms, but also in their ability to um, provide expert statements against the state of Florida. Um, that was another situation that arose earlier this year um, with regard or with respect to uh, the voting rights um, issue that's also brewing in the state. Uh, it, it's incredibly concerning. And I think that it has, uh, you know, impacts across the university system. Uh, I think that we certainly at, at USF were, were watching what the University of Florida was going to do this past semester uh, as far as what kinds of health and safety protocols they were going to implement on campus. And, you know, we followed them to a certain extent by the letter and kind of fell fell in place in that in that respect and find out that uh, researchers were were feeling pressured to destroy covid-19 data um is appalling really um it's it's incredibly incredibly concerning well, I want to read a quick email that came in from Ernie. He says, I'm pretty conservative and I'm reading the 1619 Project. My question is, what's wrong with the truth? 1619 contains truth. This reminds me, I, I put up an article about today's show on our website, WMNF.org. There is a link in that article to the 1619 Project, if after the show you'd like to go and look at it. So that's what Ernie says. Um, 
why don't we take a call right now? I think we'll probably be getting back in this call, getting back to the USF Forest Preserve. But um, I want to remind people that our guest is Jeannie Munger. She's with the group Save USF Forest Preserve. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe on 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canan, and we have on the air, Clay, what's your question? Well, first, let me thank Jeannie for all the hard work she's been doing, her and all and everyone else in, on this issue and other issues. Uh, it's been a great show, Sean. You've covered a lot of ground here. So you. during your conversation, uh, you said, uh, Jeannie, that the state of Florida actually owns the property and that there's a 99-year lease on it That's by USF. So my first question is, how does one sell something that doesn't belong to them? And my second <laughs> point I'd like to make is that the state of Florida is uh, voted to uh, in the legislature to maintain this wildlife corridor throughout the state, and this is an integral part of doing that. And if the state already owns the property, and the state's supposed to have our own um, land-preserving uh, arm, I can't remember what it's called right now, but there doesn't seem to be a problem here. It's just they stamp it. It's conservation land. It's part of the corridor, and issue's over. Thanks for the question, Clay. Yes. Yeah, so to your first uh, question, how how does someone um, sell or develop something that doesn't belong to them? Uh, I think stipulated in that lease agreement is that USF is allowed to develop property uh, as long as, and I quote, it supports student success, which uh, I can say within the context of our North Florida uh, excuse me, North Fletcher Property Advisory Board meetings that there's been a lot of contention about uh, that particular phrase um, because it is, of course, very open-ended. And my concern has been, you know, what what all can we shoehorn into this idea of supporting student success, right? So, um, Recently, the university built uh, or allowed Publix to build a grocery store on USF campus proper. Um, and I think that, you know, that was very important because that area is a food desert and that uh, grocery store now provides, you know, really critical access to food that wasn't necessarily available to the people that lived in that area. Um, nonetheless, Putting, uh, you know, commercial property on, uh, you know, university or state land is, it, it kind of begs the question, you know, what what else can they build that could be supportive of student success, but not necessarily something that um, maybe the community wants. So, that that's kind of the, the situation there. Uh, and I would say as well that I... Uh, Thank you for bringing up that uh, Florida Wildlife Corridor bill that passed earlier this year. And I think that you're absolutely right, um, that I would love uh, to see the state just say, yes, this is absolutely part of this corridor and we want to see this, you know, permanently protected. Uh, that's, that, that's the idealist in me, that it will be a very simple process. Um, but... Yeah, it remains to be seen uh, as to what what the state will say uh, when we take up that next part of the fight. Thanks for that call, Clay. And I want to ask you, Janie, how, can, how is it phys is it physically connected to the rest of the uh, Florida Wildlife Corridor, or how would it how would it connect either um, ecologically or physically? How would it connect? 
Sure. So uh, the USF Forest Preserve, as I um, mentioned earlier, is uh, it, it actually butts up against the Cypress Creek tributary. And that um, tributary flows into the Hillsborough River. And there is a contiguous corridor along the Hillsborough River that ultimately connects to the Green Swamp, which are some of the headwaters of the Hillsborough River. Um, and then that Green Swamp is considered to be according to people who have championed this concept of the Florida Wildlife Corridor, the, you know, quote unquote, beating heart of, um, of this corridor. So it connects up to the Green Swamp, as I said, through the Hillsborough River. Our guest is Jeannie Munger with the Save USF Forest Preserve. And I want to read a text here that came in from Ron in Tampa. He says, my compliments to Jeannie on her work at trying to save the USF Preserve. These 800 acres are an absolute crown jewel of natural beauty that must be preserved for the sanctity of a much larger ecosystem region surrounding it. Everyone who cares about the future of Florida, especially in this county, should get behind their efforts. So that's the words from Ron in Tampa. Let me turn now. I have a little bit of audio from Charlie Chris talking about the University City of Florida issue that, that's been happening. Um, I know we're kind of jumping around topics, but I guess the, the, the unifying topic here is academia and, and uh, being, you know, universities in the, in the state. So uh, candidate for Governor Charlie Crist held a Zoom press conference a few days ago about the issue at the University of Florida. Here's some of the audio to give people more perspective on the issue, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But here's what Congress member Charlie Crist had to say. Yesterday, a faculty Senate committee at our state's flagship university, the University of Florida, released a deeply concerning report detailing pages upon pages of instances in which the university censored their own faculty by pressuring professors and researchers to, among many things, destroy COVID-19 data and refrain from publicly criticizing Governor Ron DeSantis and state officials. This report makes it clear that the university feared retaliation and the withholding of state funds so much so that it created a culture of suppression among their own faculty in order to appease our governor. Professors were told they could not put the word critical and race near one another in the same sentence. They were prevented from serving as expert witnesses in cases against the state, and they were silenced from reporting the truth during the worst of this pandemic. The censorship of the University of Florida faculty is clearly unacceptable, undemocratic, and un-American. And we know who's to blame. As Governor DeSantis attacks and defunds school boards and businesses who dare to challenge his leadership, it is clear that this governor has and will continue to use and abuse the power of his office to make sure Floridians fall in line and aid and abet his partisan agenda. As if we needed further proof, Four of the 13 members that sit on the University Board of Trustees are major donors to Governor DeSantis, one of whom happens to be chairman of the board and went so far as to say that faculty speaking out against the censorship are, quote, disrespectful to the university and will be stopped. We are here today because we cannot and will not stand for that. Today, I sent a letter to the chair of the Board of Governors and the chancellor of the state university system calling for an investigation into what happened and who is directing the censorship. In addition, I'm calling on the board to set and enforce robust standards protecting academic freedom going forward. 
because we cannot allow Governor DeSantis' regime to go unchecked, just as this governor has endangered our state during the pandemic. He now possesses a direct threat to freedom of speech and academic freedom at faculty, not only at the University of Florida, but all our institutions of higher learning. Governor DeSantis is wrong yet again. He's wrong on voting rights, he's wrong on women's rights, and he's wrong on academic freedom. With that, I'll pass it over to Commissioner Ariola, and thank you all. And I should also let you know uh, that I had a conversation with Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, she, of course, is on the oversight committee that started looking into some of these problems uh, relating to the three professors that were asked not to uh, be given testimony uh, to the Florida legislature on the voting law. Commissioner Ariola. Well, that was Congressmember Charlie Chris speaking the other day in a press conference about what's going on at the University of Florida. Uh, he seemed pretty steamed about it. Uh, I should say, you know, of course, he's running for governor, so he also had a political bone to pick with with who he hopes will be his opponent in next November, um, the current governor, Flor uh, Ron DeSantis. And I want to remind people that my guest here to talk about this is Dr. Jeannie Munger from the group Save USF Forest Preserve. Uh, you know, Congressmember Chris, he didn't hold anything back there. He, he seems pretty upset at the, um, the apparent lack of academic freedom at the University of Florida and the fact that it's... This, it's pretty incredible, I have to say, of how political this seems to be. And there seems to be a direct link between Tallahassee and, and what's happening at the, or at least what happened or seems to have happened at the University of Florida. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, I can speak to my own experience um, as uh, not just an academic, but um, through this, uh, you know, fight to save the forest preserve that I have had academics at USF reach out to me and, um, you know, essentially say to me that they're very supportive of my efforts, but don't feel that they are in a, um, a safe place uh, academically um, or in their career to be able to, you know, come out and uh, and join voices with me. Um, so I know you know, this is maybe because of administration at USF at the time, but I think ultimately it does go up to up to the top. Um, you know, people even, I think in particular in the humanities, this is who I've heard this from, um, that often feel like their programs are on the chopping block. But to hear that um, people in medical research were, uh, you know, threatened potentially, maybe threatened is too strong of a word, but um, maybe coerced in some regard, either silently or through other means uh, to, you know, stifle their research or stifle the um, publication of their research is, is incredibly alarming. Um, you know, I, again, I said this, this earlier in the program, but uh, this level of political interference in education is really the the greatest threat to to academic freedom um, that that we see in this day and age uh, way way beyond um, you know the kinds of issues of there aren't enough conservative voices on campuses um, and I think when you look at who is in administration and who sits on um, these board of governors and board of trustees that oftentimes they are incredibly conservative um, individuals who have 
curried political favor with, um, you know, political officials or served um, as politicians in, in, in previous, you know, jobs. And that um, they're the ones actually making a lot of decisions from the top. Uh, and so this this idea that uh, universities are kind of these, you know, bastions of of Marxist communist thought, and that we're just like ch- churning out uh, little little communists is it couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, uh, once you really peel back and see who's making the executive decisions at these universities, and you know, I have my own concerns coming on and, and talking about academic freedom and, and kind of pointing a finger at, at administrative um, officials in, in this particular context, because I worry about, um, you know, how it might impact my effort to have an easement put on the USF Forest Preserve, that I'm coming out against uh, this this governor and um, and these threats to academic freedom on these campuses. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel it on a very personal level that um, this is deeply concerning. And I, I certainly echo a lot of Charlie Crist's uh, sentiments about the issue. Our guest is Dr. Jeannie Munger from the group Save USF Forest Preserve. I want to read a quick email here from David, and then we'll take another call. David says, I'm very upset about the recent UF academic freedom controversy. I don't just blame DeSantis. I also blame Mosani, the current board chair at UF, who is a big DeSantis donor and a crony. As a UF alum, I'm ashamed of the university leadership for this egregious behavior. I hope that alums will stop paying on their charitable pledges until Husseini is forced out. So this is the thoughts from one UF alum, David, out there in cyberspace. Um, should we just take the call or do you have anything to respond to that, Jeannie? Uh, well, I think my concern is just that, um, you know, this is in one instance why elections are so important because the governor appoints these, um, people to these positions of power that sit on the board of governors and the board of trustees. And so it's really very important that we are considered in who we select as a governor for this reason. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's take a call here from Dell in St. Pete. Dell, you're on the air. What would you like to say? And I believe you're going to be talking about the USF Forest Preserve again. Is that right? Yes, this is Daryl. Yes. Um, is there any advantage to using the Florida State Constitution, Article 2, Section 7? And I'll read it. Natural resources and scenic beauty. It shall be the policy of the state to conserve and protect its natural resources and scenic beauty. Adequate provision shall be made by law for the abatement of air and water pollution and of excessive and unnecessary noise and for the conservation and protection of natural resources. It would seem, since they took an oath to our Florida State Constitution, it seems like that could be applicable for things like this. All right, Daryl, thanks for the question and thanks for for pointing that out. Uh, What do you think, Jeannie? Yeah, um, that's fantastic. And I will be writing that article down. Um, and yeah, thinking um, pretty considered, uh, considerately about using that in our arguments um, as we move to the state of Florida in, in hoping um, that they'll put an easement on, on the property. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've said as an, as an organization several times is that 
you know, even though we have laws limiting uh, the destruction of wetlands, and a lot of those laws have been in place since the formation of the EPA in the 1970s, that uh, we still have uh, far fewer wetlands now than um, we did before those laws were passed. Uh, and so, you know, that's an unfortunate reality, particularly that we face in the state of Florida. I think a lot of Floridians are all too familiar with um, kind of, I guess, the, uh, I don't know, the, the drumbeat of progress, as it were, um, progress in big quotation marks, um, you know, as far as sort of unfettered development is concerned that, um, yeah, I would, I would love to be able to use that, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough fight for sure. Let me read an email that came in from another David. He said, recently DeSantis went on a war path with the feds saying that this is the United States of America with states having the last say. Further, he said it's not the United uh, County Commissioners or United School Boards. His most recent mantra is that this is free Florida. He and his oligarchs, especially in the FDOT with a now renewed highways to ruin program are completing yeah. a power grab. That's nothing more than a fascist takeover and it's not free Florida says David out there in cyberspace and he ends with Jeannie has done fantastic work. So how would you respond to David and, and what is he talking about these highways to ruin and a, and a renewed program here? Sure. So he's referring to several FDOT programs, um, many of which were squashed earlier this year. Um, there was a turnpike uh, extension, I think that went was projected to go through the Everglades and cut through Florida Panther habitat. There was another extension that was proposed to cut through some of the last uh, really beautiful rural lands in central Florida. So um, it would have kind of been, I think, just to the east of Highway 98 and cut through uh, really important uh, springs regions in north central Florida. And there was, you know, resounding public opposition to these bills. Um, the, the Florida Panther connector one was squashed as well as the, the big connector all the way up through uh, central Florida. But now they want to build uh, a t- another turnpike extension that would cut through, I think, the Williston area. So it would extend up past Wildwood. Um, and again, these are very important uh, springs regions. Um, the Rainbow River is right there. there. And Jeannie, I'm going to have to cut you off there. I apologize. We are coming up near the end of the show, but I do want to thank you so much for coming back on WMNF. Jeannie, where can people find out more about the group Save USF Forest Preserve? Uh, you can find out more at saveusforestpreserve.com and there are links to all of our social media on our website. All right, thanks so much. That's Dr. Jeannie Munger from the group Save USF Forest Preserve. She's part of USF's North Fletcher Property Advisory Committee as well. I want to thank Barbara Fling for answering phones. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canan. The show is every Tuesday morning at 10. One of my guests next week will be Walter L. Smith II. You may have heard that weekday music shows are inviting their evening and weekend colleagues to introduce listeners to different shows as part of WMNF's mission calendar. Well, I'm going to bring in the host of Sunday Forum next Tuesday at 10. Janet and Shelley host Midpoint tomorrow at 10. Coming up next is Janelle Irwin at 11 on WMNF Tampa. Mom.